0: Hey, Masters of Community listeners, David Spinks here. Just want to give you a quick heads up that my wife, Allison, and I just had our first baby. And so I'm going to be on parental leave for a few weeks. In the meantime, we're going to be sharing some recordings from some of the top interviews I've done at CMX Summit and other events in the past, and we'll be back to our regular programming in just a few weeks. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. This is John Fry from Finesse Media. We're the producers for Masters of Community. Today's episode is an interview that David did with Sarah Leary, the founder of Nextdoor at CMX Summit 2019. David dives into her story of how she started Nextdoor and grew it to have communities in 94% of U.S. neighborhoods. They talk about how they got their first users on the ground, hand by hand, how their long and thorough onboarding process for local leaders actually spurred their community growth, as well as problems they ran into with racial profiling and how they tackled that problem and so much more. Enjoy. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank, for ha- thank you for uh, having us. You were a late addition to the event but someone that we've been dreaming of having at this event for a very long time.
1: Excited to be here. Thank you.
0: Of course. Um, so really happy to have you here. And I think a really good place to start is just kind of like the beginning. Nextdoor has such interesting story of getting started. A lot of people don't know that you actually had a different community you were running that you pivoted to Nextdoor. So maybe let's just start off, take a minute to tell us, like, how did Nextdoor get started? Why, why does this thing exist? And how, you know, now it's in over 90%, 94% right now Mm -hmm. of neighborhoods in the US, but it started off very hands on, very small.
1: Very small. In fact, we're very close to the first neighborhood that was ever started on Nextdoor, which was in Menlo Park. But let me go kind of all the way back. Um, I I think it really starts with a a group of people who believed in the power of community and going back to 1999. uh, In fact, The core team that started Nextdoor, one of them was one of the co-founders of a company called Epinions, which was one of the first places online where you could write reviews about products and services. And this was back before people really knew what user-generated content was. People didn't know the value of folks writing reviews and having your members being the generators of content on your platform. So we learned some hard lessons from 1999 to 2004 about how you build community. And back then, of course, when you joined a community, you had a handle that you used. You didn't use your real name and your real identity. And uh, and so we learned a lot of things about building online reputation, generating high-quality content. And, of course, one of the big discoveries at that point was that people had a lot to share they wanted to have platforms where they could talk about things like the digital camera or the baby stroller or where to stay when they go to Rome. And so fast forward to 2008 and a group of us from Opinions my co-founder Nirav and I uh, basically started talking about starting a new company. And again, really focused on the power of online communities. And one of the communities that we thought was interesting that was underserved was the sports community. And so we built something called Fanbase um, and brought in a couple other people from the Opinions team. And we spent almost two years trying to get a community off the ground. I won't bore you with all the details of that, It's a little painful to revisit it, because if any of you have worked on building communities, uh, you know that in the beginning, it's really, really hard. And you're looking for signals that things are working or it's not working. And in reality, uh, Fanbase was designed to be a platform for college and pro sports fans. And we got out of the gates really fast. We had 15 million unique visitors a month in the beginning, but it was pretty clear that it wasn't taking hold. And it wasn't accelerating, right? You're looking for those early signs that say that you're on to something great and that people are contributing and they're bringing on more people. And frankly, we weren't seeing that. And we spent about six months trying to address it we tried a long list of different tactics to try and get the community going. And we just felt like we weren't delivering something that people needed, something that they were craving every single day. But and if you. I, I wanna ask a question yeah. about
0: that too, because I think for so many of us, we're focused on building our community and driving engagement. I just shared some stats how engagement's the number one challenge. How do you know when to like cut the rope and try something else? Or if like you're just not quite there, you need to hustle a little more to get that momentum.
1: You know, it's a great question. I wish I could give you, like, here's the stat that you need to look at. And if it's, you know, green, go forward. If it's red, go back. But uh, it was more of a feel that you got that just said that people were coming into the community. They were having an experience, but they weren't accelerating their usage. And and for us, the, the most important thing is with any community, you need to get those diehards in early on. You need to get those influential users that are really going to set the tone for the community. And it just didn't feel like that was taking off. We weren't getting acceleration and it wasn't uh, bursting onto the scene. And I think that that's something that Again, you just have to be in the community and, and recognizing: Are you seeing an increase in engagement from diehards, or are you seeing it flatten out, or worse? Are you seeing people join and then bounce and come back? Right. Right. And so that was something that was: Oh gosh, this isn't working, yeah. and we we probably need to do something else.
0: So you know, we had a conversation about this and talked about how you saw that people had their social identity, their professional identity with LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a neighborhood identity yeah, exactly. that so you thought people would wanna connect around.
1: Yeah, so, so if, you, if you go back to 2010, you had Facebook for your friends and family, you had LinkedIn for your professional networks, and we were big believers in the power of online community. The question was, which communities out there were underserved, and we felt as though there was a community that was very important to people's lives, your local community that was being underserved. This is where you live, where your kids go to school, right? It's where you interact with people. And and so I think this was also a reflection of the founding team. Uh, We were in our late 30s settling down, and so the community that mattered to us more was different than what mattered to us when we were 24. And and we were looking outside our front doors, living in places in, in the Bay Area and realizing that we didn't know our neighbors and that's not the way that we grew up and then as we started to look around it turned out that other people were having the same issue and that people were feeling very disconnected from their everyday lives and so we turned our attention to to that community and started to do a little bit of research and what we learned was that these were latent communities that people had lost touch with and we felt as though we could use technology as a way to help people reconnect with their local community.
0: So, what, what did like the zero to one look like? You had you wanted to build the neighborhood community. Did you start with one? Uh, like I know you you have a story of really getting hands on. You told me your first hundred. Uh, leaders had your, your personal cell phone number.
1: Absolutely. So in, in the very beginning, uh, and again, anytime you're starting community, getting the seeds of the community right is really, really important. I cannot emphasize that enough. And even though we knew, geez, there's 200,000 neighborhoods in the United States, uh, how are you gonna get started? And, and so we basically went into people's living rooms, we talked to them, we were invited into homeowners Association <laughs> meetings. I was invited, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and we were invited in to talk about how you could use this platform to help people stay connected. Yeah. And a couple of things emerged that were really, really important. These are real world communities. They exist in the real world. And so real identity matters people want to know that when you walk when you're having a conversation with someone online about maybe buying a bookshelf that they have in their their garage, that when you come over, you're not Lonely Girl 13, you're Sarah Leary, right? (laughs) Like, you're a real person. And so, as a result, uh, we just had to construct a platform that was very different than what we had created back in 1999. And so, things like your real name, verify that you live within the neighborhood, have an identity of the neighborhood. So, every next-door neighborhood... Needs to have a name and a boundary, and so yeah. but these were all things that we learned because we spent an entire year talking to people in the communities and understanding yeah. how they were going to use it and Those were two benefits there: number one, a lot of product feedback about how to improve the product, but number two was creating these real champions in every single neighborhood, so I think a key insight that that we had was that You can't just launch a platform and say that a group of people in San Francisco are building a platform for your neighborhood in Clearwater, Florida, for example. What matters is finding the person in Clearwater, Florida in that neighborhood who is going to be the champion for the platform and introduce it to their fellow neighbors. Because ultimately what people care about in a community is being a part of something that is authentic, that is... For, for neighborhoods, that's local, that feels like it's going to have the types of conversations that are relevant to that community. So
0: I, I want to get you know, the tactics here because everyone here is building a community. They want to know, great, how do I apply this to myself? And so it's critical for your platform. It was critical to find the right people who can actually get a new community off the ground and build the community around them. So what, what are the things you've learned about you know, how to find those core contributors, How can the people in the audience find their core contributors? What do you look for to know this is the right person to be a leader in our community, to get this thing off the ground? Sure.
1: So, unfortunately, there's not like a master list across the United States of all the neighborhoods and who are the local champions in each neighborhood. Uh, I wish there were, but there was not. And so we had to employ several different tactics. Part of it was on the product side. So uh, when you came in, you had to fill out an application to say you wanted to bring next door to your neighborhood. You had to draw that neighborhood boundary and give it a name. If you think about those steps, traditionally if you were thinking about normal kind of growth online or growth hacking, that's a lot of friction along the way. And so people would say to us, like, why are you requiring all these steps? And it's because we wanted to find that person who was willing to jump through the hoops to say, I want to be the one who brings next door to my community. And so in the application, they had to describe why they wanted to bring next door to their community, how many neighbors they knew, Um, even coming up with a name is is a challenge for a lot of people. So a lot of friction. And then once they joined, they had 21 days to go recruit 10 members to join the neighborhood and and those 10 members had to not just join, they had to verify that they lived in the neighborhood. So again, a lot of friction and it's counterintuitive. A lot of people are like, I can't believe you're turning folks away from your service but we felt it was really important to get those, what we called founding members right. Because ultimately those founding members were going to be the ones that were sending out the other invitations to the rest of the neighborhood to invite people to come join. We would help them, whether those were emails, flyers, or even you know, physical postcards that we sent out. Uh, but it was really important that you were joining a community that had a local champion. Um, the second thing that, that we did was that it wasn't all online. We did good old-fashioned community organizing work. In fact, we had a team of people in the top 40 cities in the U.S. going out there and trying to find at local events who were the people that others in the neighborhood turned to. And this may sound crazy. I mean, now we cover the entire U.S., we have neighborhoods all over the globe, and yet it still starts with having people going out there and making those connections. Even in the beginning when I was sitting down talking to folks, I could tell that someone was looking across the table at me and saying, do I trust you? Do I wanna be on your platform, Sarah? So there's just this very human element of making that connection and getting people to believe. And those early users are so important for any community that's out there. They are the ones that set the tone, they set the norms, and they are your ambassadors, if you will, to the rest of the community. And so I think we invested in that. If you go back, think about it, it was you know, nine years ago that we, that we did that work. Those communities, those founding members, are the ones that set the stage for allowing there to be so much growth that followed from that point on. And I, I just encourage people Kind of a little bit of the 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 secret of community is yes, there's incredible scale that you can get. You can get all this great user generated content that's very cost effective. All those things are great and you can think about it on, at the end state of how much scale you, you can get. But in the, re- in the beginning, the reality is, is that you should not be afraid to do non-scalable things in the beginning to get the community right. I cannot emphasize that point enough. It sounds crazy for me to get in my car and drive down and go to a community meeting in Menlo Park to get the first neighborhood. But if that failed, nothing else would have followed. For all these community organizers that we had across the country, they were going to farmers markets, to neighborhood watch meetings, they were going to community gatherings and telling people about next door, That's what gets the community sparked in that neighborhood. And it's also the way that you build authentic community. Over time, you might think about ways to get more members into the platform, but if you don't have a core group of folks in the beginning who are setting the tone, who are adding uh, credibility to the platform and also content, then you have nothing to scale. And so do not be afraid in the beginning. It will be slow. It will feel like you're not getting very far. But if you're focused not on the quantity of people on your platform, but rather the quality of the conversations that are going on, you will be heading down the right path. And I, I cannot emphasize that enough. I think a lot of people think about, well, how do I get to you know, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 users, a million, whatever the number is, But it's really not about that. It's about the quality of the community. And I think it's one of the reasons why smaller companies and startups have an advantage over larger companies in launching community-based platforms.
0: Right. And, And that comes with a timeline as well, right? I recently shared, like, if you're not able to invest at least 12 months into your community program, you probably shouldn't start.
1: I would say it's even harder, right? It's even higher, right? It's more like 18 to oh, 24 wow. months just okay. because you need, you need to get things going and you need to see the ripple effect that it's creating. Um, and, and again, quality, quality, quality is the most important thing to focus on in the beginning of a community.
0: Yeah. And so um, broader level, you kind of shared how when you first started people were disconnected from their neighborhoods. Obviously the loneliness epidemic is a a key theme in society right now. Do you feel like tech and like Nextdoor has helped actually solve that problem now looking back at it?
1: It's interesting, if you go back to 2010, one of the data points that we saw was that 28% of Americans couldn't name a single one of their neighbors and 29% could only name one or two. Wow, wow. And I know for myself uh, in San Francisco, I'm a pretty sociable person, but I knew one person in my neighborhood. Yeah. And I don't think that that's because people don't care about their local community, they don't want to be involved. It's because life is busy, right? You, modern life, you're commuting long distances, you're coming home, kind of dealing with your life, you have a lot of distractions in the home, people are not sitting on their front step talking to each other. Right, and, and yet we feel this loss of connection. I think that's where the loneliness comes from. Human beings want to feel a connection to the place where they are. And so if you, if you look back over that period of time, what has shifted is that people now report, I know more of my neighbors. Yeah. What, what Nextdoor does and what I think communities can do is they lower the bar for people to follow their good intentions and have conversations with people who have something in common with them. And on Nextdoor, that's about your local community. And it turns out if you share a street, a park, a community, you have a lot more in common with people than you might otherwise think. And so all that Nextdoor is doing is saying it's easier to start the conversation. And it may start with someone borrowing a cup of sugar or a ladder or helping someone find a lost family pet, but it can it can grow from there and you can find that there actually are a lot of people who live around you who have shared interests and and you can form even deeper relationships. And so that's why for for Nextdoor, it's really important that you think about not just the online experience, but how that translates into real online connection. Yeah. And I, I think that's actually true with, with any community. I mean, Take this community, right? Like, you can have a lot of conversations online, a lot of content, and yet getting everyone together in a physical space allows there to be deeper connections that then transcend and and propel you forward till the next time you meet. And I think that that's true with any community. It it doesn't matter. If you have an online community, thinking about how do you actually get people to want to come together and share information in person? That's just going to deepen their connection to your community over time.
0: I think part of the challenge is we start off in this very hands-on way and it's very personal and you're very involved and we all start our communities that way. But all of us are doing this for a living and for the most part, we're trying to scale our communities. We're trying to make them bigger, larger. Um, and as they become larger and as you scale, you start to automate more things, right? And you've did that, you did that with Nextdoor. But as things get more automated and we're seeing this on all the big social platforms, we lose touch with the humans on that platform. And all of a sudden, the system can start to kind of form its own cultures or form its own issues arise that you just don't have as much of a hands-on involvement in. And so, and I know for Nextdoor, there were, there were some issues with racial profiling on a local level. The, the culture started to become a little bit out of your grasp. Um, can you speak to that topic and what you were able to do to kind of take care of that problem even at that large scale?
1: Sure. I think one of the things that that happens with the community is it does take on um, a life of its own. And you have to constantly monitor that and be attentive to it, right? We are connecting people in a neighborhood who previously couldn't communicate with each other or couldn't easily communicate with each other. And that became a public forum where there were conversations that, that we didn't like. And so that's That forced us to actually step back and say, wow, how do we help people be their better selves online? And uh, frankly, when, when we first started seeing reports of some of these issues on racial profiling, we did what I think a lot of people do. You look at other folks and say, how have you dealt with this? Like, look at the other large social networks out there. How have they dealt with it? And try and get the best practices. And it turned out that there weren't any best practices out there. And and that we were facing a unique challenge and a unique problem. And we were also willing, this goes back to 2015, we were willing to address it because our mission is to bring communities together, not be divisive. And so I found myself actually having to go into the academic research circles to try and figure out how to address this. And we were very lucky, Stanford professor Jennifer Everhart has done a lot of work on bias and understanding unconscious bias. And unfortunately she didn't have the answer either, but what she did have was some research that talked about how do you get people to stop and think before they take action how do you get them to slow down? And again, that is very counter to, we gotta think about growth, we're technology, how do you get people through a funnel, how do you do that with the least amount of friction? And so we went on a journey of trying to understand the issue and then introduce some some improvements there. And these improvements basically created like a checklist. So if you're reporting something in crime and safety, which was, that's where the problem was was arising, We put three points of a checklist to get you to stop and think. And these were things like racial profiling is banned on the platform. And by the way, this is what racial profiling is. It was things such as you can't report things. It's not uh, suspicious activity. Someone just be walking through the neighborhood. So be very specific about what it is that you see that is behavior that is truly suspicious. And then if you're going to describe someone, describe someone very specific. Right? Don't say a general category of someone. Uh, be able to identify an individual. And we put these steps into place, we stepped people through a process of asking more questions, and we basically created a lot of friction through the whole process. And this was something that we had to get comfortable with, but we felt very strongly that it was more important that we have useful, helpful content, and not just a large quantity of content. And so uh, we rolled this out, we tested it, it took several months to try and get the language right, And we actually were able to reduce racial profiling on the platform by over 75% with this. And so uh, it's something that I think uh, we at Nextdoor are very, very proud of, but we know that the work is not done and we continue to, to work at it. But I think this idea, the takeaway should be, hey, if you get people to stop and think and create these what's called decision points they get out of being reactive and emotional and they will start to think about their actions and how it can play across the entire community. I think that that's actually helpful information and the way to think about any community. If you have any community where things are getting a little out of hand, finding a way to get people to stop and think before they act is really important. The other thing is don't lose the human touch. Right? Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and talk to a user and understand what is going on because we're trying to solve these problems that involve human psychology, human behavior. It's not just technology. And so that's why, to me, I think there's never been a better time to be in the community space. The world is realizing how important community is and how challenging it is to get it right. And you need to find people who get this intersection between technology and understanding the humanities and understanding people. It's one of the reasons why at Nextdoor, we're building an entire team that's focused on community health and vitality. So if anyone out there is interested in being part of building these systems and being a part of one of the world's largest communities, please come find me afterwards, uh, we're hiring. But I, I, just, I truly believe that the world is waking up to understand that social networks are incredibly powerful, but they're introducing new sets of challenges and problems. And so people who want to think about taking technology and marrying it with the real world and addressing these issues, there's never been a better time. And frankly, there aren't enough people in our industry who know this stuff well. So. You all are investing in a great industry for the next you know, 5, 10, 20 years, and I think it's uh, great things are ahead, and hopefully you can be part of being part of the solution.
0: I think that's a great note to end on. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Really appreciate it. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands.